1: Of the world, Steve Finger Style.
0: So, welcome to another rendition of the podcast. I am here once again, always again, and brought to you by Black Belt CBD. If you're into CBD products or you want to try CBD products for the very first time, please visit blackbeltcbdproducts.com. Use promo code THEPODCAST25. You'll get 25% off. You do not smoke this. You do not ingest this. This is strictly roll-ons, rub-ons, ointments of that sort. It works on your pains. It's perfect for athletes, but it works well for blue-collar workers. Very low THC, less than 1%, and it does wonders, trust me. If you're into nerd culture or signed memorabilia or or a sports fanatic, please visit firstrow.ca. Use promo code THEPODCAST20. You'll get 20% off. Everything you see there is in Canadian funds, so to all my American listeners, it's a little bit cheaper for you when you do the conversion, and they also ship worldwide, so depending where you are in the world and how powerful or strong your currency is, you might get a bit cheaper. They update daily. They got everything from comic books to signed... Sports memorabilia, wrestling figures, anything in between, you name it, they got it. Like I said, they update daily, so please visit them as soon as you can. And obviously, if you're into nerd culture, you're into video games. What about books? If so, please visit bossfightbooks.com today for great books on classic video games. They got titles like NBA Jam, Resident Evil, Final Fantasy, and so forth and so on. So please go support Boss Fight Books. And as you guys know, I've had a lot of their authors on, so go support those episodes as well. And lastly, please rate, subscribe, review on all major platforms. This is the most important thing. This is free. takes you two seconds. You have no idea how important this is to all us podcasters. Please visit Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, Spotify, or iHeartRadio. So this week's guest has been in the video game industry since 1993. He's worked on such franchises as Mortal Kombat, Tony Hawk, WrestleMania, and Fight Night, to name just a few. His awesome new documentary based on Midway and Coinop arcades of the 90s, Insert Coin, is available now to rent or purchase on iTunes, Google, and Amazon. I present to the director and producer, Josh Sway. Hey, how you doing today? I'm doing good, Josh. How are you, my friend? Good, thanks. Thanks for uh, having me on. No, really appreciate it. So, okay, you've been in video games since 1993. What... Made you a video game fan? When did you start liking video games? Well, before we even get to why you got into uh, making video games, what lured you into the whole, I guess, being a gamer?
2: Oh man! I mean, you know, I so you know I'm, I'm kind of an old man, so <laughs> I joined the in club. The game way, yeah, I got into games way back in the arcade, era, and nice. um, you know, I mean, much like many, you know. You know, kids of my generation, you know, video games are fairly new and it was just this amazing new medium for entertainment. And so I was completely entranced by them. And, and I, I particularly really got into arcade games. Nice. Um, part of it is, hey, our, arcades, you know, were blowing up all over the place. And part of it is also I had two older brothers mm. who um, were managers of a giant arcade down in Southern California. Oh, we're wow. talking about a giant arcade. It was uh, it was like a Mark Twain boat with three floors of video games oh, um, that's how insane it was it's called showboat golf and games oh, that's cool. and so so they used, to, they used to babysit me and they would take me to work with them and give me literally a bank sack full of tokens and i would just play video games for like 12 hours oh my so God. that was like a huge part of my childhood and that just stuck with me ever since
0: so what's what some of your old school favorite arcade games
2: Oh wow! I mean, so you know, everyone everyone talks about the traditional things like Pac-Man, Space Invaders, which are all great and stuff. But you know, I think the games that really sucked me in were games like Defender, uh, Star Castle, Robotron. Mm-hmm. I love vector games. Star Castle, Asteroids. Um, there was there was a great game called Tail Gunner that was just amazing. Uh, okay. you, should, you guys should look it up. And and, and the, the original Star Wars game, that was all vector-based. I mean, those are just, for me, were just magical.
0: Yeah, and for me, growing up, too, with arcades, because this is before having home systems, right? Because, well, actually, I grew up on a ColecoVision. That was the first home system I ever had. Ah, but that's, yes. you know no, what that, I mean. Compared yes, to today's standards?
2: <sighs> yeah. Oh, no, but you know what? So, you know, what's crazy was that um, I never had an Atari 2600 or any of the older uh, console. Okay. I, it wasn't until the ColecoVision came out that I saw a an excellent port of Donkey Kong that was bundled with it. Right. And I was like, I'm I, this, is, this is this is it. I'm saving up money to buy it. this. Is the first time I ever saved up money for anything, I had it on layaway at, at oh. some department store. You know. That's <laughs> hilarious. Finally
1: got it. <laughs> See,
0: because I too have two older brothers, and they actually had the ColecoVision, and they had yes, the Donkey Kong, they had Gorf, yep. they had a Tarzan yep. game. I could go on and so forth and so on. But the whole point is, I didn't really get to go to arcades as a child, because first off, my parents didn't want me to go to a smoke-infested arcade with a bunch of (laughs) older guys playing video games, you know what I mean? That was kind of taboo back in the day. And plus, I I wasn't into those, I don't know, I never got into Atari, yeah, I like ColecoVision, that was my step foot, but Nintendo just blew my mind. And then knowing like games were going to get into it, obviously, like Mortal Kombat, NBA Jam, even like the old Avengers game, the old Simpsons game, stuff like that, that's what I grew up on in the arcade.
2: Yeah, yeah, no, no, those are, yeah, the, that's, that's the thing, it's like, the, the arcade games were so much more powerful than the early consoles, yes. so it wasn't until the ColecoVision, or the original NES, and things like that, that was like, oh, wait a second, these, these are some really good games coming out.
0: Yeah, no kidding. Okay, so you also worked in video games, so is that where you got your step foot in, or was it filmmaking first? I assume it was video games, right?
2: No, actually, so oh. here's the deal, what was that, yeah, it's uh, so even though I was, uh, you know, I... You know as a kid, you know I, I love video games, but in in I growing up in Southern California, I had no idea how video games were made. Okay. I didn't even know that that was a real job. but I knew how films were made like Star Wars was out. you uh, know like you know I remember as a kid watching like the making of Star Wars, the making of Superman the movie sure? and things like that. And so it was very easy to see, oh, people make movies. You know, or they do special effects and things like that, you know, and so that looks like a real job. And okay. so I always wanted to make movies when I was a kid. Right, right. And when I was smaller, I would make uh, I would make these Lego Star Wars movies. Um, you know, and I had them on fishing wire. Sure. I put modeling glue on them to burn them up. I blew them up with like, you know, M eighties and stuff. Right. And so I love movies so I and I still have these movies. I love movie making as a kid because oh, it was very cool. accessible okay. to be able to do that. And So, basically, I wanted to get into movies. I ended up going to film school um, Mm -hmm. to do that. And it just all happened that in my last year in film school, I got into computer graphics. And I was really entranced by computer graphics because um, just because of the power of the computer back then. And and I got really into the idea of digitizing film and video and manipulating them in the computer. And that kind of led to how I got into video games.
0: Oh, that's so cool! And the plus, nowadays they go hand in hand, right?
2: Yeah, but that's the irony of it. Is that like in those early days, um, you know, in the very early nineties, it was very new technology; it was very cutting edge. But now it's like, yeah, you see, you see it everywhere. It's like you're not going to see a TV show or a movie without some digital manipulation in it.
0: And I love the fact that you brought it up in your documentary in Turquoise. That it makes more money now than movies. Like Jurassic Park, like this is taking literally from, from your doc, is Jurassic Park rose 350 million. NBA Jam made 1 billion. But yet no yeah. one was talking about that. I didn't know that as a kid. Yeah.
2: Yeah, it, it, it's strange, right? I mean, it's, like, you know, video games are, right now, they're a huge industry, but they've always been, it's always been a big industry. Right. I think, yeah, I think it's one of those things where, there's two things is one is that video games are looked on as kids entertainment, even though it's far from, from that. I mean, right. the the, av- the average age of a video game person, you no know, player is, is college age and, and above. It's not like little kids, but right. I think because of the early days of video games, people just were imprinted with this information that they never shook off. Uh, I think the other thing also is that the video game industry Um, for better or for worse does not talk about how much money their games make Mm, you know so you get an idea of how how many people are playing the games and things like that but it's not like it's not like the movie industry where the movie industry every weekend you know what the box office
0: is right
2: you know And, and video games just never did that and they don't really need to do that but because of that in terms of the mainstream, you know, the business end of things is not talked about as much. So it, it just doesn't get taken as seriously.
0: Yeah, but don't you think it would sell probably more? Because you know how it is. There's a lot of sheep out there. A lot of people love the great reviews and all that. So if they see that it's making so much money, like I, I do it too sometimes yeah. with movies, for example, with the box office, no. right? If I see something in the top three, I'm like, okay, I, it must be that decent. Don't you think it would benefit more sales?
2: I, I think so. I think, yeah, I think there's pros and cons to it, you know, because then people get too you know, to uh, influence by, by, Um, by money. But uh. at the same time, I think in terms of, if you're talking about in terms of um, mainstream acceptance, for lack of a better term, then yeah, I do think that, you know, you know, flaunting a bit more doesn't, you know, would be good to have. I mean, I personally think that, you know, it's a good idea. It's just like, yeah, you know what? Yeah. NBA Jam did $1 billion. That should have been shown off outside of industry insiders just to show how big this, you know, how big this whole thing is. And it's funny you mentioned this because it's very much related to even when I finished the film and I would show it to certain executives or distributors and things like that. You know, one thing that I got, that I heard, you know, uh, you know, fairly often was, you know, people, you know, they would look at it and say, well, this is, you know, this is a really good documentary. I think it's really interesting, but it seems like such a niche audience. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of like, and so, so then I would have to kind of, you know, educate them. I was like, well, it's not really a niche audience right. because if you have, you know, you, you know, you have, uh, you know, if, if a game makes a billion dollars and it's all in quarters, that's that's a lot of people, and a lot of time playing games. Right. And nowadays, everybody play, plays video games. It's not the stereotypical video game player. I was like you know, I, back when I used to take public transportation, um, <laughs> I would see people my age playing games on their phone, but I would see you know senior citizens playing right. games on their phone. You know, and they're just as much quote unquote gamers as anybody else. So everybody plays games now. How is that a niche audience?
0: Yeah, no kidding. And again, you have, and it doesn't even matter how much they sold because you have people like us who grew up on it, and then you have people like, for say, my wife who's a casual gamer who knows about it but doesn't know the backstory, and then you have the new gamers that want to learn and know the history. So like, it encompasses pretty much everybody
2: it does it really does it's such a it's it's in the fabric of everybody's lifestyle nowadays so i it it's, it irritates me a little bit because it would be like saying that somebody who likes listening to music is a is a music person so i won't really
1: listen to music you
0: know? that's a good analogy i like that so when you started working in the video game industry was it midway you got your first uh, step in the door with
2: yeah that was my that was my uh, my first uh, yeah my first company that i ever worked with and it was pretty much um, you know, uh, maybe a year, year and a half out of college, um, oh, wow. you know, a friend of mine had gotten a job there, and they saw what they were doing. And this is coming off of the first Mortal Kombat game, and NBA Jam was about to come out. Right, and and he saw like what they're, you know, what the technology was, and he remembered uh, what I did in college with with you know video manipulation. Mm-hmm. So he helped me get in the door, and I I interviewed, I think nine times over the course of a year oh, before wow. I got hired, and it was. And it was just, it was interesting because back then um, there was no, how do I put it? Just, there was no like one way of getting into the industry. It just, it was okay. all about timing and sure. what they needed at the time. So there was no like video game school to show that you knew how to make video games. Right. Because nobody knew how to make video games. Exactly. And so, sorry, so basically what happened was, you know, the, the, the team that did NBA Jam. Um, after they did the first one and became successful, they wanted to do a wrestling game. You know, mm-hmm. to, so there's the, 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 WrestleMania, the arcade game. Right. And that's, and they saw what I can do with video and they brought me on to, to work on that project.
0: So of all the games, I'm going to put you on the spot here. Of all the games you worked on at Midway, which one was your favorite? Not that it's the best game, but the one you had most fun developing or. Oh,
2: wow. That's, that's a tough one. Um, if <sighs> the, the first one that comes to mind would have to be WrestleMania for a couple of reasons. Nice. Um, you know, one is the first game that I ever worked on. So just, I felt like I was walking into like Willy Wonka's chocolate factory. <laughs> okay. you know? it, was just, it was just so wonderful. It was just like, yeah. like wow, my, I'm, I'm working with incredibly talented people and I'm meeting heroes from my arcade days who still work there. And so, so that was amazing. Um, I think the other thing is the fact that I got to work, we got to work with the actual wrestlers of that era, yes. you know, so, you know. You know, Razor Ramon comes in one, you know, for a three-day shoot. Joint the Clown comes in the next week. You know, Bam Bam Bigelow, The Undertaker. I mean, wow. it was it was amazing. And even during that time, you know, we we're busy working and things like that. We we're really stressed out. But it it just it, even during those stressful moments, it felt magical. Just because. These guys were coming in, and they were stoked to be play, You know, to be a part of the game. Right. We got to hang out with them, have meals with them, went to the, went to shows with them. You know, and oh, uh, awesome. it was just wonderful. And so, it's kind of like the sense of discovery and meeting these crazy wrestlers all at the same time.
0: So, but is that the only WrestleMania game you worked on? Because I thought you worked on another one, WrestleMania Twenty One. Yeah.
2: yeah. So yeah, WrestleMania. So that was um, in '99. Me and John Tobias and a couple of other people. Left midway to start up our own um, development
0: house. That's right. And okay. the second
2: game that we made there was for THQ, which was WrestleMania 21. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, it was kind of weird coming back, coming back into wrestling after all those years. And uh, and that one, it, it, it was that was it was an interesting story on that one where um, it got released. I think it's like one of the first times was you know at least at least from I know it's one of the first time during that period where a video game. Was released, um, but it was the beta version. It was a wrong version that got released. Oh wow! And, and yeah, and that was it. Wasn't our fault. It was just somebody over at CHQ yeah, really? got the wrong version out, oh, and it no. went to press, went to the stores, and everything. And it was just a mess.
0: <laughs> oh <laughs> my god! So what? Because I never heard of this. So what ended up happening? Do you guys do like a recall? Like how the whole cyberpunk thing? Or
2: no, yeah. So we ended up having. So, and you got to remember, this was before the modern internet, so it wasn't mm. like we can. We can necessarily push out a bill to everybody right. not everyone had great internet. But basically, yeah, we had to patch it and uh, and some of the patches were online and I oh, think okay. they redistributed some of the disks and such. But it was like it was wild because it, it had never happened before, right? And I'm sure I think it's happened since then, you know, nowadays it's like games were all broken all the time. Right. But back then it just was not a thing. And so yeah, it was Luckily, you know, it, you know, it was not the best thing to happen, but luckily we were able to fix it pretty quickly.
0: Oh my goodness! So, and you also worked for EA with, with Fight Night. Now, are, yeah. are you like a a combat sports fan? Like, do you like wrestling, MMA, yeah. like boxing, like, or is this just something <laughs> you're know, you so good at that they, yeah, you know, just it, needed it's you? It's
2: weird. I, I, you know, I kind of got into it, you know, by accident because it wasn't, yeah, you know, it wasn't like I was a big fighting game fan, but I loved the original Mortal Kombat series, the the two D fighters right. a lot. So, so, you know, it was. You know the it was kind of weird. It's um, Chicago for some reason had a lot of fighting games going on. So right. you know when when we basically what happens when I left Midway I formed a company called Studio Gigante and we did two fighting games there. One was wrestling, then one uh, was Bang for the Xbox. Okay. And then when that company folded, um, EA Chicago uh, was working on fight, the Fight Night series. And so they, I think they basically saw, hey, here's, here's you know, here's a bunch of you know developers who worked on fighting games we need some help so they brought us on to do that so it just kind of just you know it was an interesting coincidence um but fight night in terms of like you know the game that, it, that you know one of the you know the games that i've had that i'm incredibly proud of it, is fight night round three that um mm-hmm. that really awesome. just on a personal and professional level that really kind of upped um up the game for me for like you know, pardon the pun right. but it was like you know it was an incredible team of developers uh, at EA Chicago and I got to join in on Final Round 3 and art directed it and just it, it really pushed what can be what was possible on game systems back then and and right. you know and I was even shocked by what we were able to do and so it was uh, it was a very proud moment. and when that game came out you know it was the first game I ever worked on that got you know a perfect 10 Wow. You know, uh, ratings wise, And yeah, so yeah. it was it was amazing.
1: Oh,
0: that's awesome! And you also, speaking of fighting games, they're supposed to. You guys were developing a new Marvel type of fighting game, or is this just a rumor? Yeah.
2: No, no, that was. That oh, was okay. and you can find some videos online on oh. YouTube about it. Somebody was somebody recovered an old dev kit that had um, one of the builds on there. Wow! And um, and it was yeah, it was, that was one of those games of, of, that I really wish. Um, we had scoped properly. It, mm. it, was a, it was a game with a lot of very big ideas. Okay. And it's just a lesson in, you know, you can't, you can't bite off more than you can chew. And so, you know, every individual idea for that game was awesome, but it was just too much. It's like, mm. it's like making, you know, a, a quadruple stack hamburger. Sure. Like, you know, every part sounds, it sounds great on paper, <laughs> but it's, uh, it's, you know, it can be a problem. But yeah, there was a, that was with the Fight Night team, and, um, and we were, you know, this is you know this is what I want to say is a two thousand and six, two thousand and seven. Okay. And um, you know, there was, I mean, there was some incredible prototype work being done on it, but it was just like the the scope of it was so crazy that there was no console in the world, even to this day, will wow. we'll be able to pull that off. It was just it was too ambitious and i think people kind of got blinded by that
0: so you know how they have the saying if once you see how the sausage is made you never have it so are you jaded from playing video games now since you know the back end and you know how it takes to get it made are you just so sick and tired of them or do you still actually still game
2: no i mean i still i still game but you know it's kind of like how do i put it um one of the big industry secrets with game developers is that they play less games um after making games and a lot of it has to just do with time you know it's like wow. games nowadays are so big so <laughs> yep. you know so like people with the giant backlog of games and stuff i can understand why people get those yeah. but like for myself i you know i i i'm very choosy about what kind of games i want to spend time with sure. because it's outside of just you know being tired of looking at games all day um you know just you got other things going on at the same time and so it, it, it's a tough call but i, I would say that I. I'm not jaded about games. I'm just more picky about what I'm going to spend my time with. I think if anything, I look at some of these games and I marvel at what can be done nowadays. Right. You know, because you look at stuff and, you know, I come from, you know, very old school game development. I came from the arcade era Mm -hmm. and I've seen all this evolution happen over the years. And so there are times where I'll look at a game and it's just like, wow, I, you know, what a time (laughs) we're living in. It's like, those games look incredible, you know, and I have an idea of how they're pulling it off, but it's, it's, It seems magical on a different level just because I kind of know how hard it is to, you know, to do some of these things.
0: So before we get into Insert Coin, what's harder, making a video game or making a movie?
2: Oh, I have video games, absolutely. Ah, This is a discussion I have with a lot of different people, not just with movies and games, but just, you know, even just software development and things like that is uh, there... And this isn't to take away uh, how hard it is to work on any type of creative right. project, Of course, but video games are on a whole different level, especially when you're talking about big three D world type of games mm. and stuff. I mean, it's you know, I always think to myself like it's a miracle any games get done at all. Even you know, even you know, and people can criticize games that go out broken and things right. like that. But it's it is you know, imagine creating worlds and characters and, and situations completely from scratch and you have to basically design every aspect at every angle because you don't know what the players are going to do right and stuff and you know everything is completely non-linear so you're, you're basically creating a world and with movies you know like movies are far easier in that it's very linear in nature you can control every aspect of it you can you can manipulate the viewer however you want through so many different means and take them down down the path whereas games it's a completely different medium you don't you don't do that for one thing and i mean you can do that but it's just you just don't you can't control 100 of of everything that's going on
1: so trust
2: me going to making making a movie was a huge relief for me and i really took advantage of the fact that you know on a technical level I knew how to do just about every aspect of filmmaking. So mm. I took advantage of that as much as possible. And, just and you know, there are certain things I didn't want to do by myself, but all the other things I felt, if I can do it myself, I'm going to do it because I'm going to, to use it as a learning experience.
0: So what gave you the idea to make this sort of movie? Was it, again, working in Midway and just seeing everything? Or did you have this from the beginning? Or was it just something that came to you quite recently?
2: Yeah, it, it was a combination of things. You know, part of it was, was that... You know, after twenty plus years of making games, um, I realized that I never made a movie. You know, I went to film school, and <laughs> I was like, oh, you know, I never really took that chance. Right. And so, and and on every game I've worked with, I was I was allowed. I, I had the privilege of um, of creating videos and marketing videos and things like that for every game I worked on. So I always kind of kept kept up with my filmmaking skills through that way. Right. And so it just got to a point where it was like, I there was a there was a time in my life about four, almost five years ago where I was like, okay, I need to take, I'm going to, I want to take a break from games, you know, and, and it seems like this might be the right time to finally make a film. And so that started entering my mind. It was kind of like a midlife (laughs) crisis. And then, uh, and then what happened was, um, you know, I thought back to myself, like, you know, you know, what kind of film is, is it possible for me to make? Right. I want to be realistic about it. You know, I'm not going to go off and make the next Star Wars or <laughs> anything like that. But I love documentaries. And, I, you know, and there were a lot of great gaming documentaries that were starting to come out at that time, like yeah. King of Kong and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so I thought, you know, nobody's ever, nobody has ever done a, a documentary about Midway games. Uh, because, you know, Midway made some incredibly iconic games. And, yeah, there have been YouTube videos and things like that. short videos sure. about all the different games. But I felt like I had this unique perspective of being there Mm -hmm. and being able to get the details in that most people would miss. And so I thought, you know, somebody is going to eventually do something about the subject and... I just felt like, you know what? I might be the best person to do it, and if I don't do it, someone else is going to do it. So it just it just all kind of came together that way.
0: And it's perfect because I'm sure it was easy to reach out to people like Ed Boone and John Tobias and obviously Tim Kitchrell, the voice of NBA Jam and all these people who worked on everything leading up to your doc like and is there anyone that you didn't get in that you wanted to?
1: Yeah, I mean, there were
2: like, man, it's uh, I I actually ended up interviewing a lot more people than what ended up in the film. So, okay. so it was almost an embarrassment of riches. I had, like, too many people, so, right. you know. I, don't, yeah, I mean, not really. I mean, you know, I think, um, you know, the, uh, it like, you know I, I, the funny story was, like, I reached out to um, Shaquille O'Neal's people because he was oh. a huge NBA Jam fan and right. almost got him in. I talked to his <laughs> representatives and yeah, such. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so he declined. So that was kind of a big bummer. But, um, but you know, it, it's, yeah. I, pretty much, you know, got, you know, just about everybody that, you know, you know, that I wanted to talk to. Mm-hmm. And um and yeah, you're right in that, you know, it, it's interesting, all, all of us who worked at Midway during that period, we kind of have it's almost like a fraternity. it's almost like a brotherhood. Sure. Um <laughs> because, because I felt like we went through a war, you know, with the way <laughs> we were working and stuff. Of course. And so, you know, we've all had our You know, we've all had our friendships and our differences over the years and things like that. But, you know, whenever one of us, you know, reaches out to someone else for help on something or or just to consult and things like that, we've always kept in communication. We've always Mm. been there for each other. And so, you know, when I when I brought this idea up, I mean, it was like the enthusiasm around it was 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 great. And, you know, I would interview one person. And he, you know, you know, they would mention, oh, have you talked to this person? And, and I would say, like, oh, I'd never be able to reach that person. But, oh no, no, I'll make a phone call, and they would make the phone call and that's reach awesome. out for me, and so and so yeah. everyone helped out each other. And it was uh, it was pretty amazing, actually.
0: Oh, that's so cool. So, now with all this raw extra footage you have, do you have a planning on releasing like an extended cut or bonus footage uh, or something like that in the future? Or are you just going to keep this for is. yourself?
2: Yeah, no, it's yeah, it's it's funny you mentioned that because you know the the film. You know, has been released, and I've been trying to take a mental break from it. Okay. You know, sure. But it, 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 you know, I've just been concentrating on the release of it, but yeah, there's like an incredible amount of footage, and um, a good chunk. Of, I mean, some of it is going to end up in the Blu-ray that's coming out okay. in, the, in the next few weeks. So, so that makes me feel better because there were certain segments that were cut from the film for timing purposes or for pacing purposes. Of course. So, luckily, I was able to put that back in the Blu-ray, but yeah like like you said there there's a ton of footage out there you know and i think eventually when my head clears up a bit you know i need to look at everything and think and really think seriously about what else to do with it because there's so many ways i can go with it. i can do episodes of things or turn it sure. into a podcast i mean there's a lot of things right, right. um it just I mean, right now, it's so close to the release. I can't, I can't even think about it.
0: So, how, how hard was it to work through this COVID era and getting this still released? Because obviously, everyone knows the movie industry pretty much came to a, a, a shutdown. Now, you're seeing the trickle effect of now more stuff is coming. And plus, not having it being able to a wide audience and having a live crowd there, everything is on demand now and sort of. So, how hard was that into your plans in releasing it?
2: Yeah, so in terms of the production, it didn't um, it, it didn't really change things much because it was pretty much like you ninety five percent done oh, okay. at that point. Yeah, so we were in post production, so that was always just going to be working <laughs> from my basement, anyways. You know, one sure. or the other. Um, <laughs> but it was, know, uh, yeah, it definitely you know kind of messed up our plan because we had gotten accepted in the South by Southwest and that was going to be the world premiere. Oh, that's um, cool. And so obviously that didn't happen. Right. But on the plus side what ended up happening was that a lot of these film festivals became virtual and Ooh. they reached out and they, they, they reached out to me to ask about being in, you know, in their virtual festivals. And so it, it you know, one it was kind of like one door closed and another one, you know, a different door opened up. And so I'm super grateful with the way that worked out and, 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 you know, with the release of the film, something that, didn't really exist much before COVID, but now has become uh, an emerging platform is the idea of virtual cinemas, mm-hmm. and so a lot of these local independent uh, movie theaters, you know, they're hurting and such, and so they're so they've embraced this idea of partnering up with independent filmmakers and basically using their platform to help sell tickets, so people can basically stream the film. Um, from home, right. using their you know using their platform, sure. and so we signed up like 20 different uh, theaters all all around uh, uh, the uh, the USA and Canada, and then some in Europe to go. kind of partner up and say like, hey, you know what, you know, they'll reach out to their patrons and say, you know, we have this film right. exclusively for two weeks that you can stream, you know, going through us, and so that was interesting to have that happen because now it has this. This appeal of of almost like a theatrical release before it goes to other pay per views.
0: No, oh, that's so cool. So you have a ton of credits to this movie. You have you you are an editor, director, producer, so forth and so on. What was the hardest part of making it, and what was the funnest part?
2: Mm, the hardest part was um, was definitely the editing, um, mm. which ironically is also the funnest part. So I'll, I'll give you the hardest part of that first. <laughs> okay, which is which is um, you know like just the starting of the edit was really hard because Mm. you have a ton of interviews, a ton of footage. And I kind of knew what the story was, but I was just trying to wrangle everything in, you know? So it's like, how do I get this down to under two hours? And so (laughs) that was just super messy. And it took me forever to get like, I, to get that. I would say that the first two or three years of editing was just kind of like chiseling away at everything. So but the middle part, once I got the the rough cut of it, the the overall form of it, that part was easy. So then I can start getting creative and do work with motion graphics and the you know, different different editing and pacing and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and but then at the end, you know, we're close to the end, the hardest part was now cutting out segments that were fully edited but had to get taken out for various reasons. Mm. Um, you know, case in point was there was a whole segment about WrestleMania, okay, and that's my favorite game because that was the first game I ever worked on, so it's very near and dear to my heart. Right. Um, but you, you know, the, it the storyline to WrestleMania to the WrestleMania segment was very similar to the storyline for the Revolution X segment, and so okay. having them back to back or within the same movie it is just it felt like you're talking about the same thing again, even though it's different people. Mm-hmm. So I had to cut that out um and there was how there were there were many other segments that I and you know the the you know the old saying is you have to learn to kill your babies and so that
1: was, <laughs>
2: that just killed me that just killed me to take that out um so that was difficult but the the funnest thing well i should say so the funnest part of editing though was getting that satisfaction of crafting the story right. seeing it start to take shape and kind of evolving into its own and kind of you know you know, kind of looking at the film and not forcing a story on it, but just seeing where it leads to. Mm-hmm. And that was really interesting to, to see happen. I think a close second to the funnest part, though, is um, is interviewing my old co-workers. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was a, you know, we had all been in touch with each other over the years, but to sit down with a person and talk for two to three hours right. um, and just let them talk and finding out things that you never knew before was really enlightening so you know like I knew my side of the story about a lot of these you know situations that, right. that we cover but hearing another person talk about it and then getting their you know personal take on it was really great to see and just again going back to the whole camaraderie thing just seeing how much we all influence each other and how important we were to each other's lives as we're talking uh was was super rewarding.
0: Oh, that's so cool. Well, speaking of things you you didn't know, and I didn't know a lot of stuff that you presented in this film as well. Like the rivalry between Bally Midway versus Williams. Like, I didn't know it was like that heated. Like, this is like East Coast, West Coast, 90s rap type of thing going on. (laughs)
2: Yeah, it was nuts. I mean, it was, um, it, like, and they were in the same town. It wasn't East Coast, West Coast. It was like literally cross town rivals, you know? So, yeah, this was the way, you know, this was the way. the industry was back then, and especially with with Williams itself, and a lot of it has to do with just the tribal nature of the of the development teams, and a lot of it fostered from Eugene Jarvis. It's his personality, mm, right. you know, um, and then just even upper management, they encourage competition, whether it's external or internal. Sure. And so you see in the film, like, you know, hey, you know what? There's there's these badly guys, and they, their their <laughs> games are just are silly, you know, and their big successes have all been importers from Namco, so who, right. you know, who are these jokers and stuff, and that was just the way it was back then, everybody was just you know, it, it, it wasn't a you know, it wasn't a hey, we're all in this together we're all working in video games together you know, it was more like, yeah, you know what, I'm gonna go and, you know, if I have to sabotage these people, I'll do that <laughs> you know?
0: like, Right, so is it safe to say that this was the original console war?
2: Yeah, oh, right? absolutely absolutely, yeah, I mean it was just like, they, they you know there was no love lost <laughs> between between people and stuff and uh, and you know i I, was, I don't know how true this is but i was, you know, as as somebody who moved to the midwest from california mm. it, it you know it just seems like a very chicago thing you know yeah. it was just like a doggy dog you know situation and it's not enough to just be better and win you have to destroy your competition of course. and if you look at the games williams or you know, i should say midway in the 90s made mm-hmm. it was that i mean you look at mortal kombat and you know the slogan one of the slogans on the machine is you know winner stays losers pay you know and it's <laughs> like so like when you win a game you get to play for free and other right. and other people have to pay you know pay for it
0: of course. Oh, well, speaking of paying, like the other thing you brought up too, and uh, I caught this right away was, and I didn't even think about it. And it's, just, it's so true. The original microtransaction is feeding coins. Like that's like people complain about that today, but you don't realize back in the day, like when games cost a quarter and just to play literally for like five minutes. So if you do the math, if you want to play like a full hour, how much would that cost you? Right?
2: Exactly. Exactly. Like you know, Ernest Cline, the author of *Ready Player One*, he was talking about uh, tr- the *Terminator 2* game. Yes. By the time you finish the game, it's like ten times the <laughs> price of a ticket to see the movie, you know? and it's true. And it, you know, I, one of the things that um, that you know that a lot of people don't realize is that you know, arcade games in the '80s, um, you know, they were successful, but they were mostly single-player games. Right. You know. And so you can you know you, you can get really good at Pac Man and and get the level two fifty six on one quarter if you memorize it well enough. It wasn't until the nineties is when they really started to learn about optimizing for monetization. Mm. And so you get a game like NBA Jam, which is the perfect case study here. Right. Four player game, okay. Uh, and you have to play four quarters of a basketball game. So you're 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 in it for at least four quarters. Right. Okay each person plays a quarter, puts in at least 25 cents per quarter. So now you have four people playing because nobody wants to play just two people. So all four people are playing. They're paying They're if they put a quarter, you just have the dollar per quarter. And each quarter was less than three minutes. So you're putting a dollar every two and a half minutes in. And, and there's a good chance it's going to go into overtime. So now people have to put in another. so, So you're basically making, you know, close to you know, a minimum of four dollars for about ten minutes right. of, of gameplay, and it's just mind-boggling. Um, so, so it was that nineties era of competitive and co-op play is yep. what really made the arcade industry blow up. I mean, that's how that's how NBA Jam did a yep. billion dollars. It's just knowing, just tweaking those settings. So people are constantly putting money in.
0: Well, that was the one good thing about arcades too. They had to be good because if you put in a quarter and it sucked, you're not going to yeah. feed more. Whereas nowadays, the yeah. console games, you you purchase it for like seventy a Canadian, and you know what I mean. That's it. You're stuck with it if it's good or not, right? Absolutely, yeah. It's you know if you know if the
1: the saying back back in the day was any you can it's easy to
2: get that first quarter into the machine, right? Okay. Getting that second quarter in the machine means that you have a good game. Exactly. And when we used to go test our games, it was, you know it, you know, it was literally like you knew if a game was successful, if that person puts another quarter in right away. Right. If they don't put that quarter in right away, the game on test was, was, was perceived as a bad game and more likely than not it would get canceled. And there were so many games that were made at Midway that never saw the light of day just because of those tests.
0: Yeah, no kidding. And how important were, like, okay, like you said it, to make a game good, like the little nuances of stuff that you didn't even know was supposed to happen, like Mortal Kombat, for example, it was supposed to be a filler game, and then it blew up, it was supposed to be based on Bloodsport, again, this is all in, in the movie, John claude Van Damme, all this stuff. And then even, like, the fatalities weren't a thing from the beginning. Here I'm thinking the whole time, this is why they made this game, so they could be different from Street Fighter, but then they added it in after. Like, people don't realize, like, the step that it takes to make a great, polished video game back in those days, right?
2: Yeah, exactly. I mean, a lot, I mean there were... Back then, the games were not huge. So there were a lot of room for improvisation, you right. know. And the game teams were really small. And so everybody's personality would get into the games it's not like yeah you have 300 people working on a game and then it's very you know distilled and you know everything's pre-planned it was like you know you have a game like mortal kombat which you know a lot of it was hey you know what we love you know fighting games let's make a fighting game let's put in some of our own humor into it you know ed boon you know you know does a quick test on the fatality just to see if he can shock some people and that's how these things grow it grew very organically you know And it's easy to do back then because the stakes were very low. The games were really low budgeted, so executives pretty much left the teams alone. Like no, there was no executive or marketing person that would go down to the development studio and say, "Oh, based on our studies, you guys need to do this." Right. There was none of that. It was basically make the game, go out on (laughs) test. If it's good, we'll figure out a way to sell it, and that was it. And these games were you know, the thing that a lot of people don't know is that these games were not marketed to consumers. These games, mm. the way they were marketed, they were marketed to arcade distributors. Right. And all they cared about was, is this thing going to make money? They didn't even care if the game was good. Uh, now, obviously, if a game is good, it's going to make money. But then sure. they didn't care about that end of things, you know. So nobody nobody, even from the distributors end of things would, would come and say, oh, you need to add this because based on our studies, this is a good game. They didn't They didn't have any of that information. They just like alright, you know what, is it, is it going to make me money or not? And so it gave, it gave us uh, a lo- an incredible amount of freedom, right. and knowing that, you know, if a game failed, um, it was not a catastrophic loss. You can just move on to the next game and hope you learn from it.
0: Now, I gotta know, what was more cool, playing Sub-Zero in Mortal Kombat 2, or being yourself in NBA Jam?
2: Oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> you know, I think, well, if I were to pick... <laughs> to pick one or the other, I would say NBA, like being playable in NBA Jam, because it's, it's astonishing how many people freak out when they see that. Right. Like it, and, and, you know, something that, that a lot of us, yeah, as developers forget is, you know, like during that time when these games were big, like we knew it was, you know, they were big, Mm -hmm. but we didn't really get the full grasp of the scope of how big things were. And so, so for myself personally, you know, when I, like, you know, when I would show somebody my character in NBA Jam and they freak out, it surprises me when they freak out, you know, and it's only because I'm so close to the process. And right. so for me, I've been living with this for like 20 plus years, so it's not a big deal. But every time I like I'll run into somebody and they're like, oh, yeah, I said, this is my favorite game when I was a kid. <laughs> oh, oh, cool. Let me show you something. And I'll show myself again. The they're like, what, what the hell? Like, what is this? And they literally freak out about it. So that's super fun. Um but the, the Mortal Kombat stuff is, is funny. It's just because it, those things, the, that, the, those things were so nonchalant. Like it was basically, okay. hey, let me take a picture of you and I'll put you in the game. Ah, you know, it. that's how that's how it was. And right. so I think because we were in a part of the process, to us it wasn't a big deal. Right. And it's weird to us when people say it's a big deal. <laughs>
0: Oh, that's so cool so how did the whole thing happen with getting yourself an NBA Jam like did Mark and the team come to you and be like we're, we're going to put in everybody you want to join did you have input in your stats even or was it just all randomized
2: oh, it, it was I mean it, it's you know what happened was after the first NBA Jam came out the initial one uh, people just loved some of the secret heads that they put in they only sure. put a very small handful so then they wanted to do this tournament edition of NBA Jam and, and expand on it right and so, I was working with that team um, because that was during WrestleMania development at the same time uh, with okay. the tournament division. And so, they basically thought, you know what, why don't we just put more heads in? And so, they asked a bunch of people in the studio. I was like, do you, you, you want your head in the game? So, oh yeah, absolutely. Right. So, I get put right. in. But, yeah, we didn't have any input on the stats, which okay. sucked. My stats are horrible. <laughs> so I was
0: like, well, that's I that's why know. I wanted to know because I ended up looking up your stats and I'm like, either he's very humble or you got the short end of the no, stick. No, yeah.
2: No, I play Mark Chanel. Mark Chanel did all the stats, and <laughs> okay. I, a, I this the stuff that he gave people. Oh. Like, what? Like, really? It's like, you're going to do that, huh? So, yeah, it's. Uh, and, yeah, I should I should call him to find out, like, what exactly is my character good at? Because it seems like he sucks in every single way.
0: Oh, my goodness. And I love the fact how you slid in the Mortal Kombat movie, too. Again, you being from background of movie making and all that. And, okay, I, I watched it when I was, I don't know, 13, 14, maybe. That's when it came out. So I loved it because to me that was just fantastic. It was like to me it was a perfect interpretation of the video game. Now looking back, yes, it's a bit raunchy. The acting wasn't the greatest, but I think the soul of it was amazing. So, in your take, what, what do you think watching it or even watching it for the first time and going back and watching it now?
2: Well, I mean, I think it's you know like the first time I watched it, I was really impressed by how they they just really made sure that it got what the fan they got the important things that the fans wanted. Exactly. So it wasn't a literal literal translation of the game, but they had enough respect for the game to add in the things that everyone was expecting. And so I think they did an incredible job with it, with that first movie on that. Right. So and then when I was, when I was making Insert Coin, um, you know, I you know went back and looked at Mortal Kombat movie and you know, I know a lot of people think of it as cheesy and such, but it's like, for one thing, it's the 90s, so it's very different sensibilities. True. But, but and obviously I'm going to be biased about this, but I still think it's an incredibly fun movie. Yep. And I and I think that it, it actually does, a, it actually holds up better than a lot of um, that type of movies from that era.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, it's like
2: they didn't, you know, they had some computer graphics and stuff, but they didn't overdo it, right. you know, and some of it holds up, some of it doesn't, but I mean, it, you can tell that they had a lot of respect for the source material and so i really i still enjoy it because of that and then that's what it's one of the reasons why i wanted to get that into the film uh into insert coin because you know a lot of people have fond memories of it and 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 i'm and you know this movie insert coin was marketed to people who were teenagers back in the day and who are now adults and it's you know i wanted i wanted to kind of shake up their memories again. Say, so, hey, remember what it felt like as right. a kid to watch this? You know, so, so, uh, so that way, yeah, I felt that that was a very important part of the Midway story.
0: Oh, yeah. And the one thing that always stands out about that is the music. When the guy yells <laughs> yeah. Mortal Kombat and then it just kicks into that crazy techno yeah. beat of the 90s. Oh, my God.
2: Oh. Yeah, I know. And that's the thing. It's it's like people remember that so well. It's like right? when they hear that music, it's just like they're instantly transported back, you know. So. i'll tell you it was that segment was on the chopping block
0: uh, for a very
2: long time and i I had so many versions of the film with it and without it and i'll be completely honest without it the film moves overall film moves faster okay Mm. but for me though like this is this this is the one example of the film that i left in almost strictly as fan service was because i want to keep it in there because i knew the fans would love it right and and the thing is that like you it didn't it didn't hurt the pacing of the film but it mm-hmm. didn't necessarily help it either it was just kind of neutral so that's so it's almost like a, a flip of a coin i'd say no i'm going to keep it in here because uh I, w- I want the fans to freak out when they see or hear about certain things and that and and that's why it stayed in.
0: are you looking forward for the new mortal kombat movie
2: Oh absolutely. I can't oh, I, can, I can't imagine what they can do with, <sighs> you know, with the new special, you know, special effects technology nowadays. So right. yeah, it should be very interesting.
0: And plus now so many other renditions of Mortal Kombat have come out and there's so much lore that they could tap into literally anything and start from the beginning and then you could see a branch as it blossoms into a a, a franchise even if the first one is good enough, right? I just hope they do service to it. I really do.
1: Yeah,
2: yeah, I mean I I think the one thing that I really hope that they that they do and 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 just you know the first mortal Kombat movie i think does a good job of it is you know lean in a little bit on the humorous aspects of mortal combat I and mean, the reason why mortal Kombat is so popular is besides being an incredibly good well-designed fighting game is that there's a lot of humor behind it. it's not the yes. violence the violence really was there to service the humor right you know it course. didn't take itself seriously and so yeah it for myself personally, I I think it would be a shame if they took Mortal Kombat and took it too seriously oh, because I think it okay. loses a lot of a, a lot of the um, the nuances.
0: See, that's what I thought of the Street Fighter movie. I think because they went down yeah. that serious action Van Bam movie, that I think I was like, no, th- this is not for me.
2: Yeah, exactly. I mean, you, you look at the you look at you know the the Marvel Cinematic Universe films, and mm. they do an incredible job yes. of blending. Action and humor. Right. And so never taking yourself so seriously that it's just it's just too heavy. You know, that's why, like, I was, you know, I like some of the DC films, I think they, they, they weren't as successful because mm-hmm. they were just too dark. Yeah. They were just too, and, and very little humor in it. And you see some of the best DC films are the ones that have more of a, you know, more humor infused into it.
0: Yeah, no kidding. Okay, well, before we get to the weird story of the week, I want to touch on a few more tidbits about the movie. So one thing. It blew my mind i never knew journey the band journey had a video game (laughs) what like what What, what, what's this game about
2: oh my gosh it's so weird so it was like i remember that game when i was a kid thinking like okay you know it's like journey and there's a spaceship and you're going through all these you know puzzles and mazes and stuff like that and it was just a weird thing but i remember though that it was like the it was the first time i'd seen digitized faces Mm -hmm. in a video game so i was like like whoa you can do that and it's so funny because when I interviewed um, the people for Insert Coin, you know, they both brought, like, both George Petro and Dan Amrod brought it up separately, completely independent of each other. Wow. You know, and it's like, wow. like, what? I'm not the only person that knows this game?
0: <laughs> That's cool. Another thing I didn't know was that Revolution X was supposed to be Generation X with Public Enemy.
2: Yeah, yeah. Now, that was new to me. I didn't know that either. And um, I'm, you know, the... Like, they didn't get very far on it, but I know that they were pitching it uh, pretty heavily to the public enemy. But yeah, that didn't that end up going nowhere.
0: Another one, Terminator 2, shooting the video game at the same time as the movie. Now, that just yeah. blew my mind, especially back then. Because, yeah. like you said, they weren't on par as far as entertainment wise. Like, you know what I mean? Like, video games was the ugly steps child of movies, right? So, for them and for James Cameron to realize all this and to work together with the video game industry, that's, that was just that was awesome to know.
2: Yeah, that, that was, and I don't think that's, I mean, from what I know, I don't think that's been done since. You know, the first time, it might be the only mm. time that you got that level of cooperation. And, yeah, um, a lot of it has to do with the fact that James Cameron is so forward-thinking on technology Bright. that he saw what Midway was doing with digitizing and basically like, yeah, these guys know what they're doing. Let them in, you know, help them out wherever you can.
0: Yeah, and, um,
2: Yeah, it was amazing.
0: Oh, my goodness. And then lastly... Midway turning down Tony Hawk. Oh my God, what a blunder that was, huh?
2: <laughs> That's a spoiler alert. I should have mentioned that, but it's like, uh, yeah, it was. Uh, boy, I you know, without giving away um, too much of it, it was. Uh, yeah, I remember that story, and a lot of people don't remember that uh, even from back back in Midway. And the reason I remembered it was, um, you know, I you know, I used to, I used to skateboard all the time, you know, living uh-huh. in California. Okay, and so I remember. Hearing that, hey, there's this guy named Tony Hawk who uh, you know who was pitching a game, and and nobody really knew who he was, but I knew of him. Sure. And and I remember I said, well, so whatever hand was oh no, no, dude, yeah, they jumped out. Who the hell wants to play that? <laughs> and and I, you know, I was just like, like really, like you guys, you, you, you know, I remember you know seven, you know seven twenty, one of the best you know arcade skateboarding games ever, Skate or Die was at California Games. I yeah, mean, there was classics. like some great skateboarding games, right? And so yeah, it was like. It was very, it was very much an example of the arrogance that kind of seeped in the midway of like anybody who's an outsider, you know, it's kind of like, 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 why would we want to work with you? You know, nobody wants a skateboarding game.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. And that's just touching the top of the iceberg amongst all these little tidbits and Easter eggs that are in the film. So people have to go and actually watch it. So just to whet the people's appetite. So are you ready for the weird story of the week, my friend? (laughs) So what's your favorite gaming snack? Do you have one?
2: Oh, yeah. Um, boy, that's a tough one. I, the first one that came up right off the bat is uh, wasabi-flavored shrimp chips.
0: Oh, okay. That just so blew my like, mind. These
2: <laughs> Korean shrimp. Yeah. So you look it up. Sometimes okay. there's this uh, sh- Korean shrimp chips, and okay. they come in different flavors, but the sure. wasabi version is fantastic. So, and if you're into beer, it's there's nothing better than shrimp chips and beer, I'll tell you.
0: Oh, see, because I have never was a snacker while I gamed. I always find that I'd have to, like, lick my fingers in the controller and all that. And I was too involved in the game. Like, drinking, <laughs> sure, I'll have a beer here and there or whatnot. But to, like, snack, like, this blows my mind how this no. is an actual thing. I, I, I guess I'm on the outs of this one. you
2: got to try it. I mean, if you got the, the regular chip, it's, right. it's a lot of flavor without, like, without greasiness or any flavors sure. on your finger.
0: Okay, cool. So, now, w- w- what about, okay, now this is a... A bit harder credit. What about your favorite system?
2: Oh, my favorite? You've been, like, throughout history or currently?
0: Throughout history. Like, what's the one that you could just play forever?
2: Oh, my gosh. That's a tough one. So, I mean, I think the first one that would come to mind... Uh, okay, I think the first one that would come to mind is ColecoVision. Oh, okay. Um, just because I have such fond, childhood memories of it. Sure. and uh, And, again, it was, like, you know some of the best arcade ports of that time you know so there's that so i'm going way back old school um i i think the second one would be the xbox
0: 360.
2: oh okay well mainly because there there wasn't that 360 era they had there was a lot of really there's a lot of really innovative indie games Mm. on xbox live at the time and i think xbox live at the time was just you know it was great for experimental games and that was when, you know, downloadable games, small downloadable games became, you know, more mainstream. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you know, so I really liked it because of that. And also, Five Night Round 3 was awesome on it. And, uh, and we really pushed the, uh, the graphical capabilities of it.
0: Okay. Now, what if you could combine the two? If you could combine a ColecoVision with your chips, would you want that?
2: I don't see why not. Of course. I mean, that would be like, I would, I would
0: never leave the house. You know? <laughs> so I don't know if you heard about this. I'm sure you have because this is all over the place now, especially because it's about to get dropped. What about uh, the KFC console? Have you heard of this?
2: Yes, I saw that. And that's like, I want to investigate further because as a, uh, as a, as, a, as a Chinese person, I'm obsessed by KFC. Okay. but I'm in games, you know, obviously combining my, one of my favorite foods with, uh, with game console is you can't beat that. So yeah, I want to find out what's up with this.
0: Well, I got some stats here for you that I pulled up, oddly <laughs> enough. So here's some specs. It has a 5.0 gigahertz. It comes with two one terabyte Seagate Barracuda SSD drives. The system will run games at 240 frames per second. What? With support of 240, 240 hertz output at 4K resolution. Wow. Right? What?
2: That's insane. How much is this thing going to cost?
0: I don't, well, there's more. So that's twice, <laughs> <laughs> that's twice of what the uh, PlayStation 5 and Xbox X series could actually do right now, right? It's also going to come ready for VR. <laughs> Jeez. And in addition, this is the most important thing of all that they're including in this console it has a chicken warmer
2: yes so that's the part that excites me the most and my guess is that all that heat from the graphics card is just is just gonna burn the hell out of that chicken so.
0: now does that seem safe to you like again you're in this industry putting something that's greasy oily like that inside a video game like you got to really pad this thing nice so it doesn't leak anywhere right
2: yeah, it's probably not safe, but it's going to be delicious. So I'm all for it, you know? I mean, it's like, I, you know, I, I, I love KFC. It's one of my guilty pleasures, you right. know? And so, like, this, you can't get better than this. is better than any Mountain Dew thing or, or, or Doritos tie in with games. This is, like, the ultimate. So I think KFC is, they're forward-thinking, um, and, uh, yeah, I think, you know, I'm all in. I want I want a VR chicken game so I can just combine everything
0: together. Well, that's not the weird part about all this. So KFC has ventured outside of just making chicken as well. You want to hear some of their ventures they tried sure. years past. All right. <laughs> so here's some. I don't know if you know about this. They made a dating simulator game that's called I Love You Colonel Sanders on Steam. Did you know about this that's one?
2: Right. I heard about that, yeah.
0: So that's one. How about a KFC keyboard? Would you buy one of those?
2: What makes it a KFC
0: keyboard? Apparently, no, they uh, they did something to all the keys and only left KFC. So you'd have to actually know what all the keys are. (laughs) How about a fried chicken scented sunscreen?
2: Yeah, I don't know about that.
0: (laughs) And lastly, KFC branded Crocs.
2: Oh God! No, 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 no on Crocs I mean, of any of any sort. Actually, I
0: lied. I got one more. This is for the women out there, or men, I guess, if you're into it, because a lot of men use this as well nowadays. Nail polish that tastes like KFC chicken. Hmm. Yeah, the
2: finger looking good. Thing.
0: Yeah, I, I can roll with that. <laughs> oh my goodness! All right, now's the time. Plug your shit. Where people can find you. Anything you want to plug. Any upcoming projects, even, or if it's just insert coin, go ahead, my friend.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'll focus on insert coin. I mean, um, you know, I hope. You know, everyone who loves games or pop culture and movies, you know, goes out and, uh, and you know, take a, take a look at it. You can go to insertcoindoc.com and there links uh, to all the virtual cinemas, include, including uh, Amazon, iTunes, Vudu, Google Play. It's out there for rental or, or for purchase. Um, blu rays special edition Blu-rays are on pre-order uh, this week at nice. insertcoindoc.com. And uh, and those will be shipping hopefully uh, at the end of January, and a lot of a lot of cut stuff on the um, on the Blu-rays. I think you know those of you who are uh, big Midway fans will be uh, will be pleasantly surprised
0: oh that's awesome and I'm one of them trust me and for myself you can find me on Instagram and Twitter under finger styles you can follow the podcast on Twitter the podcast app email us your thoughts suggestions comments anything you want to get off your chest at the podcast at gmail.com please rewind to the top of the show support those fine sponsors because if it helps them out it helps me out but if you want to support me directly I do have a merchandise store at tpublic.com or scroll down on today's device you're listening to on. it's embedded right there in the description click on that link takes you right to the merchandise store I got everything from hoodies to t-shirts travel mugs COVID masks anything you need or want is literally there but like i said also the most important thing is to rate subscribe review on all major platforms one last question before i let you go well not really a question opinions are you a cobra kai fan oh absolutely oh thank you i've been dying to talk to someone about this
2: i just uh you know i very seldom binge watch shows but that one like season three came out I binge watched it in like I think like less than two days which is ridiculous I I think one of the best things about Cobra Kai and there's a lot of great things about it I think one of the best things is that they kept each episode short Yes, you know I think think if each episode was longer it'd be more of a haul Uh, but man uh, (sighs) uh, just everything about it is just so impressive and it just you know it got it just hit my nostalgia bone so so badly. It was ridiculous, right? So I assume you're
0: original Karate Kid fan, then.
2: Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And so without getting the spoilers, I mean, the third season, the stuff they get into, man i I actually got into a de- <laughs> I actually got a little depressed because it just reminded me, it's like, oh my God, that was so long ago. Right. You know, like a time gone?
0: It's so true. And I don't know, like when someone asked me, like what makes that show so good? Like you mentioned one thing, it's nice and short and you can watch it quickly. That's one for sure. The nostalgia factor, of course. But I don't know what's the other allure because if you look at it technically, it's so cheesy. Like the, the story is like a bit out there. Like why aren't the cops getting involved in all this? This is literally like gang violence with kids. Like, you know what I mean? And,
2: yeah, I, I think one of the things that really makes it appealing, in my opinion, is that they created their own universe where karate was so important. Gotcha. So, okay. You're yeah. of, it's like the world building, you get sucked into it because of it. And, um, but yeah, I, just to kind of go back to what we talked about before is that, you know, it's kind of like the Mortal Kombat movie. They knew exactly how much to put in for nostalgia purposes, but they also added in. New elements, and they had, and they, and they, and they made it super humorous. You know, exactly. they, they're they're like making fun of themselves while at the same time honoring the, you know, the old, uh, the old movie inside. So it's a great blend of of action and humor.
0: And now that you mention it, it makes total sense because to me, being a pro wrestling fan, it's sort of like suspending disbelief. And yes, they are their own little yeah. bubble, their own little world. You know what I mean? So yeah. that's awesome. Well, on that note, he's Josh. I'm Steve. This is the podcast. Peace.